This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Up next, from the Center for Social Innovation at Stanford, a presentation by Lynn Fritz entitled Using Supply Chain Innovations to Save Lives from the Conversations Network. Hello, this is Doug Kay, the Executive Director of the Conversations Network, and today I'm excited to bring you another session from the Disruption Management Seminar held at Stanford by the Center for Social Innovation, September 8, 2005. Created by the Stanford Graduate School of Business, the Center for Social Innovation builds and strengthens the capacity of individuals and organizations to develop innovative solutions to social problems. And now, here's our presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. First, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Hao Li. I'm a professor at the Graduate School of Business, and I also am a co-director of the Stanford Global Supply Chain Forum. On behalf of Stanford, I want to warmly welcome you to this important event. Uh, we are going to examine a very powerful, important subject, which would be of interest to both the private sector and also uh, the public sector, uh, the humanitarian organizations, uh, relief organizations as well, um, to open this important event I'm delighted to introduce uh, the Dean of the Graduate School of Business, uh, Bob Jaws. Uh, Bob is the Dean of the Graduate School uh, of Business, and he's our leader and also uh, the person that has extensive experience working in the private sector before he came to uh, the business school. And therefore, I think he himself, uh, being the CEO and also chairman of major corporations like Wells Fargo and Westpac, he himself, I'm sure, has have been charted with how to deal with disruptions and managing risk of this nature. So please join me in welcoming uh, Dean Joyce. Well, thank you very much, Hal, and uh, welcome. It's really a great pleasure for me uh, as Dean of the Business School to welcome all of you to Stanford. Uh, this is a pretty extraordinary gathering, and I guess I'd have to say to have a conference here today on effective disruption management. Not sure we've ever had that, so that's a first. But uh, it's, it's a day of really mixed emotions, I think, for us, because on the one hand, there's this wonderful collaboration, which, uh, as Hal mentioned, is Stanford and MIT, which is a terrific collaboration. There's uh, people here from uh, humanitarian relief agencies, from government, from nonprofits, uh, the wonderful work of Lynn and the Fritz Institute. A lot of you, of course, from the corporate community who worry and, uh, in fact, are charged with responsibility to see that you're prepared for all kinds of risks. Increasingly, we are aware, I think, of the importance not only of the for-profit community to make financial resources available in times of disruption, but particularly knowledge and skills when it comes to uh, an understanding of some of the enormity that is entailed in the management of effective disruption management with the emphasis on the M. Of course, both ourselves uh, at MIT are leading schools of management in the world. We're the school on the Stanford campus among the seven schools who worries and brings all of our resources and work to bear on this question of organizational performance. How do you get organizations, particularly complex ones, 
to perform and perform really well, and what's the role of management and all that. And within the business school, there's a very interesting collaboration here today of two of our important centers. We have just four centers at the business school, but um, one, which involves how, has to do with global business and global supply chain management and all that's involved in this very small interconnected world today and uh, how important it is to help prepare our students and for us to be informed uh, about the impact of global society on everybody's business. And I don't have to tell anybody in this room, there is no such thing anymore as local business. And you better understand what best in the world is all about, and you better understand practices everywhere in the world. And so that whole emphasis within our school on global business, global economy, global supply chains um, is, is a very important part, as you can imagine, of any modern business school. The second feature, and kind of co-sponsor of this you may not be as aware of, is our Center for Social Innovation. So within the business school we have a center that really is very concerned and interested in both the social accountability of for-profit corporations, and what does it mean to be uh, a, an effective performing corporation that earns the trust and respect of the community. That's a dimension of our social uh, innovation center. But the other dimension is how can we as a leading school of management bring more managerial skill, awareness, accountability to the social sector. Um, so that's, that's a very important and interesting collaboration within our own business school between the Global Center, between the Center for Social Innovation. So we have a lot of terrific uh, kind of path-breaking things going on here today just by this meeting and who's here and all the various diverse interests, which I think is wonderful and really is a symbol of the, what's going on at Stanford increasingly. Stanford is increasingly uh, seeing itself not just as a creator of knowledge and trying to push the frontiers of knowledge, but how to bring application of that knowledge towards some of the world's really big challenges, the health of the planet, the health of the human body, uh, the health of societies. And this is a very good example of where we're trying to bring everything we know from science and technology and organizational behavior and human performance to bear on a very difficult and challenging social issue. And that's something that is the hallmark of John Hennessy's leadership as president of Stanford today. So that's a wonderful side of this. I think the sad side and the mixed emotions part is, of course, the backdrop of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, to really underscore just how critical the M, management, is in situations that suddenly emerge and surprise us and take the world's notice. Um, uh, I think we know, and I think in this room probably more than most people, and the world is sadly recognizing slowly today just how critical preparation and management is in these kinds of situations. So. Uh, in addition to welcoming you, I simply applaud and thank you for participating in today's session, for coming together, uh, for sharing insights that I know you will. And I hope the outcome can be that we are able, as a result of this conference, to inform those who can really make a difference when disaster strikes. So, again, welcome and thank you for being part of this. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. It is my pleasure now to introduce uh, our keynote speaker. Uh, the Fritz Institute is the world's, I would say, arguably the best and the first institute that 
focus the attention on conducting research and developing methods uh, to help humanitarian relief organizations uh, to respond uh, as well as to prepare for uh, disasters. And Lin Fritz himself uh, is the uh, force behind it. He himself uh, was the CEO uh, and chairman of the Fritz companies before the company uh, was uh, sold to UPS. It was a very successful company that focused on global logistics uh, with uh, businesses all over the world. And I, uh, several years ago, when, when I first got to know Lin well, uh, he already had a vision at that time of how to make use of the knowledge of logistics, which he has tremendous uh, amount of, and I think he founded the Fritz Institute exactly to leverage his experience and resources and knowledge so as to help society at large. And I'm happy that the Fritz Institute has done a wonderful job. And today we look to that institute uh, for leadership as well as uh, for uh, resource and for many of the insights from many of the experiences uh, that they have done helping organizations to respond to disasters. So I'd like to ask Lin to share his views, his experiences, some of the lessons that he has learned, and also hopefully have some time that we can have some questions and answers. Please welcome Lin Fritz. Thank you very much. Hi, good morning, everybody, and thanks, Hal, very much. I want to begin by uh, you know, thanking Stanford and MIT for all the indefatigable work it took to put this on. And, uh, and I'm really pleased to be here, particularly in light of uh, Dean Joss's comments. Um, the, the Institute, is, as Hal said, uh, was really trying to be a focal point uh, for, the, um, for academic research, for uh, operational knowledge uh, to be applied to uh, as Dean Joss said, large complex organizations and large complex issues, particularly in the supply chain, uh, that is represented uh, in the uh, humanitarian and uh, disaster relief, disruption relief. Uh, uh, as uh, he said, my background, uh, I ran a multinational uh, logistics services company. Our, our customers were all very similar to the aid organizations uh, that we try to service now, i.e., uh, they were large, global, highly complex, uh, and very highly complex supply chains. We spent all of our time trying to do what we could to make supply chains predictable, which is also what Dr. Lee and, and MIT and others do. What can we do with technology, training, certification, et cetera, to uh, make predictable outcomes of the supply chain so that manufacturing processes, purchasing processes, uh, as well as customer satisfaction can be in a, some kind of a cohesive, uh, ongoing way and done aptly and also done institutionally. So they, we don't have to worry if one person leaves an organization that the whole thing will break down, that there are processes and procedures to, to do this. That's uh, what we did, and uh, we did it relatively well. And, and uh, when uh, I sold the business, I wanted to see whether there was any application of that to, um, 
a bigger theater, um, a more important theater, what are the issues? Is there an application of, of what we do in the uh, logistics and supply chain theater uh, to this uh, area? Can we be helpful? Are there gaps indeed? So that's what we did, and we've been at it for some time. One of the, There are a couple of key underlying uh, factors of, of what we do and why we do it. One is to engage the private sector. Uh, we found uh, through Dr. Thomas's research that there was very modest private sector uh, collaboration with the uh, uh, in disruption management and dis in disaster management, et cetera. Very, very little. There are many reasons for it. I'd be happy again to answer questions on that. Some good, some bad reasons. Uh, there's obviously uh, uh, there's always been a, a sense of. Um, what's in it for the private sector, and uh, oftentimes the agenda of the private sector has been questioned by uh, the public sector. Uh, uh, this has been an uh, issue that has, uh, has been somewhat troublesome, and therefore a, a great deal of what could be very natural, very wonderful marriages has not taken quite the flower it could have uh, under other circumstances. Uh, on the private sector side, there's always been a little bit of a concern that these guys don't operate as fast and as ably as we do, and it's a little bit frustrating, uh, things of this nature. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, been, it's been tough to, uh, to get um, the best of the best uh, together. However, in the four years that we've been uh, operating in this theater, we've seen an incredibly depthful interest in the private sector to be engaged not for great value or for uh, ways of advertising, but just simply because they know uh, that their abilities, they are institutionalizing their processes, their management descriptions, and all the rest of it do have a, and could have, and will have a enormous bearing on the satisfying, the uh, impacted people uh, that are uh, beset by either disasters in a short-term basis like this, or HIV AIDS, or poverty, and all the other issues that the humanitarian sector works with on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. And uh, so I'm delighted about that, and, and we've taken a lot of different steps to uh, try to make cohesive what the private sector does and what the, uh, the, what the uh, humanitarian sector does. Almost all of our work to begin with was totally trying to understand the humanitarian sector. We knew what we were all about, and uh, with grave assurances of our abilities and interest, uh, we uh, went, and, and but happily, and I think very respectfully, as we should, uh, to try to find out really what are the um, elements, what are the, A, the underlying ethos of these organizations. Uh, you have to start with that, and really what's the soul of these organizations? Why do people join them? Why do they do what they do? And then we went into more of what they do and why they do it, uh, et cetera, and, and have come uh, away uh, from the very beginning, so again, uh, referring back to Dr. Thomas's research with an uh, extraordinary uh, respect for the uh, almost awe-inspiring uh, uh, efforts that are, are taking place and have taken place for generations. It's, it's not a new industry, the humanitarian industry, uh, and particularly the people uh, in the field. One of the key elements that we saw, and what I'd like to focus on for a few minutes, is, is the, uh, what, what are some of their concerns? Why, why can't they be better? Is, can they be better? What, what are some of the inhibitors uh, that are, are, uh, are, are stopping the uh, things like Katrina from being addressed better? And I'll be to get back to Katrina at the end of my comments.
One of the biggest and, and most concerning elements that, that we have found was the uh, lack of a back room, uh, lack of uh, uh, resources, uh, what we'd uh, what they call capacity, what the humanitarian world would call capacity, uh, lack of, and when they, and that I mean training, I mean certification, I mean technology, I, I, all of the general resources where most private uh, sector organizations put almost all of their money. There's where, if we were, we're right in the center of Silicon Valley here, uh, the VC capital of the world, and if all of us came together and said, ah, Peshwa and all this, let's start a business today, and we all came to agree whether we'd have a great business, et cetera, et cetera, and then we went to Sand Hill Road, which is an area where a lot of VCs are up just up the block here. Uh, and so we got a great idea. We, we, you know, we need 50 million or 100 million dollars. I can assure you that the VCs organizations are going to say, we want about 90% of it if we buy your idea to get into the execution of your idea. So the manufacturing can manufacture in an effective ongoing basis, that the customer service can be excellent, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever your product or services are, invest, invest, invest in the execution of same. It doesn't exactly work that way in the uh, in the humanitarian sector uh, for a number of reasons. The most important one and the most tragic one is that that, that where it's where good intentions in in many respects sort of go awry. Good intentions uh, on behalf of uh, of uh, large governmental uh, governmental donors. Uh, good intentions on behalf of individuals, all like all of us sitting in the room, are almost all involved in let's get to the person that needs help. And the last thing we want to do is to invest in organization. Sounds like overhead. Uh, one of the few standards of the entire humanitarian area is what percentage they have of overhead to, uh, to, dollars, to uh, dollars expended in the field and in the day-to-day -day operations of their business. And as a result, they don't get many dollars on this. As a result, this area of expertise in the execution site isn't anywhere near as big internally as it would be for the private sector. Private sector, Walmart was a big customer of ours for years. I mean, the smallest person in the organization that could do something for effectiveness was cherished, applauded, and this would be typical of almost any private operation. They, they really understand somebody that comes up with a nuance in technology. It goes out of their way for the customer. This is big, big stuff. In the, in the humanitarian sector, since the dollars are so modest and since the field work is so high, that's where they gravitate to. And they do miracles. I mean, I, 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 you couldn't underestimate what happens with so little in the field, uh, in the humanitarian sector. So what the Fritz organization is all about is how the heck can we orchestrate the tools, the methods, the processes, the intelligence, the knowledge, and adapt it in some kind of a fashion to give these tools to support uh, the day-to-day -day processes of humanitarian aid organizations. That's a big, big here, and I'd, I'd be happy to discuss that in any kind of detail anybody would wish to have, because I have a lot of it, and, and we really have put our uh, uh, entire lives into this. And what we've done, the way we've approached it, is, is to basically uh, ask companies from around the world to help. Uh, when we first did this, as I was saying, well, we tried before. Nobody, you know, nobody answers the phone over there. We don't know. We're frustrated. They only want us when it, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, they don't want us when it's really 
calm, uh, you know, when we can do some preparatory kind of thing. Or if that was the context or the, the, uh, a lot of the kind of uh, information that we got and answers that we got when we, uh, when we first went to, the, uh, uh, to companies, great companies around the world. But all of them had an interest to do something if they could, if there was a way, if there was a method. And, and so uh, what we did is we started something called Corporations for Humanity, which, uh, and which has been an enormously successful program. And I think prompt, the reason it has been is because we started by representing the customer. That means the humanitarian organization. And I, so we said, we know everybody that works inside. We don't just know the bosses when we're a logistics company. And, uh, and so with that kind of access, we can bring in uh, uh, simple processes, purchasing processes, uh, testing processes, certification uh, processes, which we've done and uh, all over in a whole variety of different uh, uh, ways throughout the world. Uh, actually, the least place that we've been involved on has been the United States. Almost all of our activity has been uh, uh, in the third, uh, in the developing world with, with the organizations that are helping the developing world. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so we've been able to create technology. Uh, 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 Matthew Clerks will be here today for Philips Semiconductor. He was very instrumental in our first uh, technology uh, that we raised for the International Federation of the Red Cross, which is the coordinating body of all Red Crosses uh, in Geneva uh, for, uh, for natural disasters. And uh, uh, we have a wonderful technology that we were able to develop, uh, and we continue to develop other technologies with the help of the, uh, of the private sector, people coming in and helping us uh, derive things. So we look at ourselves sort of as a manager, uh, as a general contractor, if you will, because we know the issues, and we don't involve ourselves or the private sector on anything that we both, we and the organizations that we look to help, don't both agree that this is an issue and we both agree on how we'd like to go about doing it. So it's step by step. There's nothing exciting about this. It's not, you know, jumping to the moon. This is no, uh, we're not doing anything all that bloody innovative either. I mean, it's just really, uh, uh, you know, again, step by step, uh, functional uh, uh, type of, of pursuits. We, we made, uh, we're, we'll be about ready to release in, a, in another month, uh, probably the first ever um, uh, and the only that I know of uh, uh, results uh, from uh, the tsunami. When I say results, I mean results on how the supply chain worked. I mean results on how the impacted people felt that the organizations did, because there's been billions of dollars aggregated for the tsunami. And, and as, we, as we, we were all over that and, and have been from the, uh, from the first day, uh, all of the work that we did in the tsunami was all done prior to the tsunami. People said, are you going over there? What are you doing? Are you? I said, we're, we're not going over to help. I mean, it's too late to help. I mean, we, we're just going to be one more guy in the way, uh, uh, frankly. The time to help is before anything happens. And that uh, technology that I was alluding to that we did with the International Federation, I mean, uh, by their description, made their efforts in the tsunami five times more effective than they'd ever been before. Uh, and I, I really relish that fact. Uh, I'd be happy if it was 10 percent. doesn't matter. Uh, but the fact is that it was, it, was, it was significant. And the only point I'm really trying to address with urgency is the fact that all the work on disasters is before. It's not during a disaster. It's not. It's not uh, uh, any more than if we started our business. We all went out to see a customer, but we don't manufacture anything. I say, well, geez, we're every place, but shucks, we. <laughs> we 
it's too late. We have to do all the preface stuff uh, before we really uh, bring in a, a service or the, or the rest. And that gets me to Katrina because, I mean, it, it would seem, again, I, I'm just I just looking at this on TV as you are, reading the papers as you are. I, I don't have any uh, enormous uh, treasure of knowledge, so I don't want to speak uh, in, in a definitive way uh, on what could have done or not. Uh, but uh, uh, what it seems to be is, is, a, uh, is, is a, a very significant lack of preparation, particularly on the local level. And uh, to, the, to Katrina and, and to the, uh, one of the absolute, absolute pieces of knowledge is, is that there will not be effective aid in Africa and there will not be effective disaster relief in the United States or any place else in the world uh, if there isn't local capacity that, has, that is in some way prepared, full stop. That's my opinion, but it's, I would uh, be happy to take questions uh, and be vetted on that. Uh, and it would seem that the uh, organizations uh, in and around the particularly New Orleans area uh, weren't uh, as prepared as they could have been. And, uh, and of course, we, we've had an enormous uh, fallout because of that and enormous amount of uh, activity trying to remedy that. Successful or not, I'm not going to, I don't know, I don't know what's good or bad there, so this, this, is, this is not a uh, qualitative factor. I'm really just trying to uh, uh, suggest that, uh, that I think if there is local capacity and training and some preparation, uh, things could have uh, worked out hopefully a lot better. And I think as we go about what should we do in the future, uh, I was just on a broadcast on this actually uh, yesterday afternoon, um, we, we know... Um, all of us at this table and in this room pretty much where uh, disasters are prone to strike. So we can sort of right start here in this particular area as I think earthquakes are something's going to happen here in the not distant future. Uh, there's going to be more storms in Florida and the Caribbean. There's going to be cyclones and typhoons uh, in uh, southern India and in Bangladesh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it would see, and I would like to see um, the ability of, uh, uh, again, of, of the combination of business, local authorities and governments, the academic community, coming together to make rudimentary preparations uh, and, and to bring in uh, the abilities that, uh, that organizations have. Right, there's one gentleman in the military here, which I've, I've noticed, and I'm very happy you're here. Because one uh, organization or uh, sector that I have left out that was remarkably effective in the tsunami was the military. One reason uh, the the military uh, and uh, also uh, um, the uh, medical uh, organizations were particularly effective in the tsunami in our research. The why on the medical and the military, I think, is somewhat similar. That's why I put them together. In, in, in the medical side, there is a focused methodology. It doesn't matter what language you have. It doesn't matter what you do. Uh, there, is, there is a process. People come. They're examined. There's a methodology, uh, and you can put through. You don't have to know local conditions. You don't, uh, and it's very focused. 
the military is very focused too. They have a lot of various things on logistics and supply chain. A lot of what I did with Fritz companies was to uh, to try to copy uh, the uh, what was happening in large military encounters because they know it saved lives. Military has, has no confusion as to preparation and what they do with logistics and supply chain because they know we win or we lose if we don't have it. I mean, this is a 2,000-year-old uh, knowledge, and, and uh, happily they continue to apply it. And I think application of, again, processes, resources within this are very, very valuable. But the, but the thing I wanted to say was focus. And just like in the, in the, in the medical, it, it, was, it was a focused, on-the-ground basis, and it, and it was very effective. The people uh, that if, when we went off over all of the impacted, uh, or, and this was in Sri Lanka, this is in Bandarache, uh, this is uh, uh, certainly in Tamil Nadu and in and, and southern India, I, I, the, the, everybody that we interviewed said, yeah, of all of the services that were coming out, and there were plenty of them, the, the medical was, we, we, we liked it. It was there, it was timely, it worked, uh, it, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a customer satisfaction. So what I'm getting at is, is one element, I think, on how, how can we inspire better, better, better disruption management. One is to start, uh, as Dean Jaw said, with, with knowledge, expertise uh, that is uh, in great uh, and, and, and deathful balance here with uh, MIT and with Stanford University and other wonderful universities that take the supply chain and the rest uh, very seriously and do great work. The second is the uh, is is to be able to uh, support tools and methods, uh, many from the private sector and, and others, to help this gap for the, this this horrible gap that the humanitarian sector has again because of the disposition of the donors and the, and the rest of it, where they just cannot normally build the kind of capacity that we would do in the in the private sector because of some of the reasons, and I can edify that if you wish uh, on, on questions and, and answers. Uh, I think the uh, the focus on local uh, is is important. One thing we found in India uh, in our uh, in our uh, various uh, surveys that the work that they did there was a big earthquake in Gujarat and Bhuj some years ago. Some of you, some of you may remember, uh, and they again have a large amount of uh, of tragedies going on all the time. I uh, and the reason that's that I'm bringing up at this point is is that they have begun to develop local abilities. Uh, the the government uh, in in many of these areas was enormously efficient in India, uh, more efficient than perhaps other places. Again, I'm, I'm not here to cut or, or paste, but just really simply to recognize uh, that uh, that local capacity uh, organized in a, in a factor with, with business and other pieces of your society were very effective, including the military in India as well. Uh, uh, they got to Sri Lanka before any other uh, Navy did. And why not? They're local, that's the point. And they and they were they were they were familiar and they were able to do things. So I, I'd like to uh, uh, you know really be open for questions and answers if there are any or if there are questions, but I I want to uh, say I'm honored to be here. I, I'm I'm delighted anytime uh, that we can get a group of uh, interested, uh, knowledgeable people that are invested in in uh, in this area. Anytime we get together, because it, it's only by getting together and, and understanding better that we're going to move the needle on this. I guess the last thing I will say is that this is a growing business. Probably pretty obvious, but maybe not to all. This is a tragic, 
rapidly growing business. Tragically, uh, they, we're, we're talking in from millions to tens of millions to hundreds of millions of uh, people that are impacted. I, mean, I would basically say that our job, all of those that wish to be involved in it, I mean, are basically serving about a third of the world's population now. We have poverty, we have overarching AIDS epidemics, we have uh, people like Mr. Mugabe in Zimbabwe that keep us in business all the time, and just this, this thug, this horrible man that uh, has ravaged a wonderful country. And Darfur's, and Rwanda's, and Burundi's, and on and on and on. That's what we do to ourselves. So. I'd like to close with that, uh, hopefully more to invest a interest, uh, and I'd t love to take your questions. And again, thank you very much for being here. Um, I've been involved in several um, disaster events around the world, and uh, one of the biggest challenges that we have is making sure that the people who are assisting actually understand the local customs. Um, I was in Bangladesh uh, with the U.S. Navy uh, doing a, a disaster relief after a monsoon. We received two tractor trailer loads of Spam, which is a pork-based product, and my being a Muslim, I couldn't even untouch the, the cans. So I think that's one of the critical things that you have to make sure that when you're developing plans is that you have the flexibility to be able to um, account for uh, local custom, uh, religious customs, etc. I, I thank you very, very, very much for that. I, again, when I, I kept focusing on local, and that was one of the number of reasons. I mean, if, if, if all of us, as well-intended and as, as, as expert as we probably all are as a group, uh, you know, had to go to Guatemala to figure out something on an enormous problem that they would have there, no matter how good our intentions and our material, we'd probably be ineffective because we just wouldn't know what to do first and all of the cultural, all of the nuances in any kind of uh, society. Again, uh, it shouldn't be FEMA that should be helping New Orleans. New Orleans, you know, FEMA should have helped New Orleans help New Orleans in, in that respect. Thank you for that. And that's a enormously common. I could keep you here for hours with stories of, of that kind of stuff. I have a question about uh, the air transport um side of things, the private sector, as opposed to working with military, whether it's a, the tsunami uh, or it's down in New Orleans, getting using the private sector. And I'm curious how uh, your organization is perhaps working with uh, International Air Transport Association or, or even here, ATA, here in the U.S., because I, I, I work in flight ops management at, at an airline here, and we flew planes, empty planes, to New Orleans and then flew out evacuees over the last week. Yes. Uh, it, but it was very chaotic, and I'm curious how that worked worldwide. I'm sorry to tell you that, I mean, uh, if, you, if you saw the Sri Lankan airport three days after, after the tsunami, you'd cry. It wasn't lack of capacity. It was just lack of coordination and, and an ability to even get things out of the planes into, into warehouses. I mean, so it's... Uh, so, it, 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 it is, again, preparation, and it doesn't have to be sophisticated. I, I compliment you for getting planes in there and, and, and for doing that, but my point, I think what you're saying is a great deal was done pretty much on your own initiative and your, and your own innovations and your own ability to sort of overcome a set of problems. And, and if that was the case, that would be highly typical worldwide. Uh, the fact that it could actually even happen here in the United States, you know, is I think some would find probably a little surprising, a little... Um, disconcerting, sir. 
Hey, I was one of the uh, responders at 9-11 to, uh, at, the com at the command center. And there were two aspects that I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on from your studies. First was the credentialing of people. In other words, knowing who could do what and where they could go to do that best. And then second, the credentialing of private sector assets. And I'll give you a, a, a quick example. CBS News had um, a stabilized, a gyro stabilized helicopter that could have taken very detailed and accurate uh, ground zero uh, uh, photos. I knew the producer whose helicopter that was and wanted to bring that. And it took me a week with the fire department and the rest and I still couldn't get it. And then I went to a conference like this and heard a fire captain complain that the pictures were delayed and, and, and not high resolution. So it was a credentialing both of people and of the, the security of using private assets. And I, I just want to hear your your. I, I, um, it's very, very similar to what I was just indicating to the uh, lady there. Um, we're, we're on tape, and I, um, I'll, on, on, a, on a private way, I, I'll, I, I'll, I'll share some just what, what I would call hair-raising, or I guess you could. I, I, <laughs> stories about uh, the, the, you know, the lack of credentials. Again, all of it's because it's just not prepared. I, I really appreciate your, your comments on this because, again, it's one thing to say local preparedness and rudimentary, but that's all the stuff that I, I exactly what I'm getting at. Any city could put together and with, with not enormous foresight, not, you know, just, just brain chilling, I uh, uh, think, to, to know what, who should be called, when they should be called, and that they're going to have a, an ability to call them and the assets that can be bought in and people that are somehow trained. I mean, the 9-11, the uh, you, you, there, there, I mean, there are legions of of, of those stories, and I, and I, uh, and 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 to your point, I believe, at least mine is, many of them overcomeable by modest preparation at the local level, not the government level. I mean, uh, because for the reasons I said about Guatemala, thank you, and I'm I'm sad, I'm sad to have to agree with it, sir. It seems that there, at least in the. Uh, information that we have, there's a, an enormous amount of resources that are funneled through governments, private or uh, public sectors, toward humanitarian efforts, but it doesn't seem like it gets there, at least from the information that's passed along. What is, uh, I would like, I'd just be interested in seeing what your involvement is, you and your group's involvement is, with those groups such as the UN, etc. And uh, my personal bias, just again from a lot of the things that I've studied, is that there's an enormous amount of inefficiency. So I'd like to see what your suggestion would be to improve that type of thing. Yeah. Um, you're, you're quite right. I, um, if you just go to the tsunami, I mean, it's, uh, we, I don't think there's any agreed upon uh, amount of money that's been raised as an agreed upon amount that actually was raised. Secondly, I have seen no indication yet as to exactly how much of that's been utilized. Just just to start off with the money, before we even get into inefficiency. I mean, just okay. one of the reasons I think that there has been a uh, arguable lack of uh, effectiveness is is that uh, there is a, a pretty general lack of standards 
and accountability. I mean, how do you account? How effective is effective? Us in the private sector, in the military, and the rest have very, very, very specific ways of saying how good are we doing? Not just how good we think we're doing, how good are we doing? Because we have guys like customers that yell at us, we have shareholders that yell at us, we have processes and procedures, and very, usually very refined. The more refined the processes of, 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 uh, of how we're doing, not what we're doing, how we're doing it. Uh, really creates the kind of efficiencies that keeps organizations, any organization viable, military organization, private organization, trucking company, and or the UN. The, um, I would say that the UN suffers to some extent on, uh, on, uh, on their uh, ability to um, uh, measure themselves uh, in, a, uh, in, in a manner that uh, would uh, uh, increase their, you know, would easily increase their efficiencies. You've been listening to a presentation from the Disruption Management Seminar produced by the Center for Social Innovation and held at Stanford, California, September 8, 2005. For more practical and provocative ideas, check out the Center's award-winning publication, the Stanford Social Innovation Review at www.ssireview.com. The series producer for this program is Bernadette Clavier. Post-production audio by Bruce Sharp. My name is Doug Kay, and I hope you'll join me next time for another presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.